Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Bonus Years podcast, where we talk about how to find hope in the hard. I'm Brooke, and I'm your host. Let's get started. I'm Allie. I am 25, and I am a wife, a dog mom, a liver transplant recipient. We have a rescue dog. Her name is Ivy. She is... um, a special needs pit bull that we rescued. <laughs> and she is so adorable. And yes, her name is short for intravenous. So I have glycogen storage disease 1A, which essentially means that when I was born, my liver didn't have the enzyme that it needed to turn glycogen into glucose. Okay. So um, my parents just thought I was a really cranky baby when mm. I was born <laughs> because I was constantly crying. But the truth was that I was actually essentially starving um, because my body had no way to pull those sugars out when I wasn't eating food. So they kind of compare it to like you're driving your car and you put gas in, but then when you go to drive, you can't get the gas out of the car. So it's there, you put it in, but you can't do anything with it. Ah. So um, I was four months old when my mom came in to feed me in the night and I was having a full-blown seizure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my parents called 911. They took me to the hospital. I was flown to a specialty hospital that is five hours from where my parents were currently living. And they did a whole bunch of tests and they ended up doing a liver biopsy and sending part of my liver to Germany. And that's the extent of my worldwide travels is that my liver went to Germany, but I didn't. Um, It's amazing the places those livers can go. (laughs) It is amazing. And that is how they diagnosed me with glycogen storage disease because I'm like one of the first generations of people that have this condition that have actually made it to adulthood. Oh my gosh. It used to be a death sentence for sure by the age of 10. Um, And then I'm kind of the first generation that has become an adult. Um, yeah. So I was kind of their guinea pig and no one really knew uh, about the disease, about treatment, about how long I was going to survive, any yeah. of that. So with that, um, they gave me a feeding tube. I had a G-tube placed and I was on G-tube feeds continuously. So I had a big pump that was attached to me all the time. And um, how, how old are you when that started? I got my G-tube, I think I was five months old. Okay. So a very tiny baby and a very all you machine. knew. Yeah. All you knew. Okay. Yes. So they kind of handed my parents this fragile little baby with a whole bunch of machines and said, here you go. Take, take this thing home and try not to kill it. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, my parents took me home and they did the best they could to raise this child with a disease that nobody really knew about. Um, so I was on those continuous feeds for the G-tube and then they weaned me. I don't even know how old I was, a couple of years old. They weaned me to every half hour. So my parents wore stopwatches around their necks and every half hour, 24 seven, they would um, give me a bolus of the special kind of formula that was supposed to keep my blood sugars up. And then of course, every time I got sick, so anytime I got a cold, the flu, anything like that, I couldn't keep my own blood sugars up, so I had to go to the hospital and be put on IVs. 
my gosh. So that was basically my entire life um, growing up. And they gradually stretched out the amount of time from a half hour to an hour. But it was still, this is what my parents did. God bless your parents. They are wonderful people. Every 30 minutes. I mean, so if they alternate every hour. Yeah. Right. And like, that's all they knew to do to keep you alive. Yep. That is what they did. (laughs) Mentally and emotionally exhausting as well. Yes, for sure. Wow. So that was essentially my life growing up. I didn't know any different. I didn't really eat orally because... I had a feeding tube and I had no idea what it was like to be hungry. Um, <laughs> oh, this is blowing my mind. Yeah. And so then I had also the other, I guess, side effects or symptoms of the disease and that I was a really small individual and I had what they call the China doll effect. So my skin was like porcelain and when I was born, I had black hair. So I looked like a little China doll and uh, people would stop my parents in the store and be like, oh, where did you buy that doll? And it was me. I was the child. No way. <laughs> yeah. And because my liver was affected, I also had like an extremely enlarged liver. Okay. So um, I was short and tiny and really pale with a really big liver. <laughs> and... It's already your largest organ besides your skin. It is. Yeah. So when it's inflamed, that's a whole different thing in your tiny little body. In my tiny little body. And then also because of my inability to um, release sugars, essentially, I was on a very, very restricted diet. So I said it was easier to tell people what I could eat rather than what I couldn't because I couldn't have anything, any processed sugars. I couldn't have... Uh, fructose. I couldn't have lactose. So that's already your dairy, most of your fruits, most of your vegetables, pretty much all carbs that existed were too high in sugar. And I had to have under a certain amount of carbs per meal. And it was insane, the dietary restrictions that I had. So what could you eat? Um, I could have small amounts of like chicken or fish. Or we have like, we could portion out tiny, tiny amounts of like potatoes or rice. And that's what I ate. Yo, the bonus years has joined up with Instacart to bring you fast and affordable delivery. My family started using Instacart in 2019 and I quickly realized how much money and energy it was saving me. As an immunocompromised person with chronic illness, Instacart has changed the game for me. Now I can use my limited energy to do the things I love like playing with my kids, reading, and of course, napping. Check out the link in the show notes to sign up. Yeah. And how, talk to me, okay, because you never ate orally, you said. Nope. And then when you started to, what was that like? Because most people learn to chew their food and taste food and swallow at a lot younger age than you did. Yeah. So when I, like I would eat, my parents kept a food log for me and I found it not too long ago and I was going back through it. And it was like this big deal. It's like, Allie ate one French fry and it was like a whole bunch of exclamation points. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. So I never actually learned to eat. The first time I actually ate anything to eat to like to sustain my body was post-transplant and I was 23. The first time I actually ate anything. Because was that also the first time you weren't on the feeding tube? Yeah. Was post-transplant? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah. I got it. So. Wow. I was essentially on a feeding tube my whole entire life. Um, and then when I was 11, so this whole pattern kept up my whole childhood. And when I was 11, um, the feeding that I was supposed to get during the night, the pump turned on. So oh, no. my blood sugar is went straight down. And uh, by the time my mom came to wake me up for school the next morning, it was unreadable. I couldn't breathe. I um, I don't know if I was in a seizure or if I had like already gone past that point and I was just done. Um, so they called the ambulance, took me to the hospital, flew me to the specialty hospital where I was in the PICU and the doctors told my parents she is not going to wake up. Like, this is it. Say your goodbyes. My dad's family flew in from... Um, they live a couple provinces away from us. So they flew and everybody kind of gathered at the hospital to say their goodbyes to me. Wow. Um, so this was, it ended up happening over my 12th birthday. So I, my birthday is November 27th. I went into my coma on November 25th. And somehow, they're not really sure how, on November 28th, I woke up. And wow. um my uncle was staying with me so my parents could get some rest because they thought I would be in the hospital for a really long time on life support right. and all these things. And I looked at my uncle and I said, where's my mom? <laughs> so he called my mom in the middle of the night and everybody came to the hospital and no one was sure how I was functioning or how I wasn't like, they had really no idea, no answers for yeah. how I was a functional human. And they're like, oh, she's going to have like so much brain damage. She's not going to be able to walk or talk or anything again. And obviously I am because here I am. Obviously you are. <laughs> obviously I am. I kind of proved everybody wrong. Um, so that was like a pretty big scare and a pivotal moment in where things started to kind of turn for me. I obviously recovered from that, but... I did suffer some brain damage um, with just how low my blood sugars had been and how long I had not had any, any sugars or anything in my system. So for three years, we kind of fought for a diagnosis, knowing something was wrong. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, it's just anxiety. She's just having PTSD related to her coma, all these things. Actually, I had a malfunctioning nervous system. So uh, my nervous system basically was in a total stress response all the time and could not calm itself down. Uh, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of dealt with that all of my teen years when you're supposed to be going to school and dating and all these fun things. I thought it was a really big accomplishment if I could walk up a flight of stairs. Yep. And obviously, since my body was in a constant stress response, it was also not um, utilizing the sugars the same way that it used to. It was burning through everything so, so fast. Wow. And my blood sugar kept dropping, crashing uncontrollably. And as a, every specialist for my disease, um, everybody they could think of, they did all of these tests and everyone's like, we really... We don't know what to do. We don't know what's wrong with her. So um, meanwhile, in the middle of all this, I was trying to live my life because I was a teenager and 
I just wanted to have some semblance of normalcy. I graduated high school. I went to college, which was where I met my husband. And I was incredibly sick, but I was also determined to have a life and make something. So my husband and I got married. We got married in 2016. And um, life was good, great. We were newlyweds. We were still trying to deal with my health issues, but we're, I felt like I was at a stable point where I wasn't doing good, but I was stable. I was stable in my yeah. badness yeah. Um, enough so that like I could work. And I was still getting up actually at this point every two hours, 24 seven to inject myself with um, the special formula that I had. And then it was followed up by a cornstarch drink. So I drank raw cornstarch every oh. two hours, 24 seven. Um, I would have been like, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> yeah. Cause <laughs> cornstarch is an extended starch. It's slow releasing. Yep. So it would slower release in my body and keep my blood sugars up longer. Oh man. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds terrible. <laughs> Um, and then in, well, I guess end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I got pregnant, which was the biggest shock ever. They had kind of always told me that, oh, you're way too unstable to get pregnant. That's not in the cards for you. And so my husband and I had discussed that. Obviously, like my youngest two siblings are adopted. So we're just like, that's normal. Let's grow our family through adoption. That's kind of what we plan to do. And then I was pregnant and we were like, oh my gosh. Um, not only because we were told this was never going to happen, but because we knew the state that my body was in. And we knew that this was not going to be a sustainable thing. Yeah. So we found out and pretty much the next day or the day after, fairly quickly, after it was like confirmed, my body started declining very, very fast. Mm. Um, I spent pretty much my whole pregnancy in the hospital getting IV dextrose. And for just a reference of how much dextrose I was on, the amount that I was on would be enough for a horse. And it was not sustaining my body. And I am 5'1". I'm a, I'm a tiny person. And it, yeah. was, it was not enough. For, oh my gosh. My blood sugar kept crashing. And so I had like a port put in, like a permanent line, so mm -hmm. they could um, keep delivering that dextrose. If they even stopped it long enough to switch the IV bags, my blood sugar would crash to like unreadable low, not showing up on their monitors. And somehow I was still conscious. So they would like go and like check all of their meters, like maybe the meter's off. And I'm like, no, it's not. I feel like garbage. But I learned how to function at a very, very low blood sugar level because I, that's what I done all my life. What were you like, uh, during this time, like mentally, emotionally, like, how are you processing everything? I don't think I did like having mm. low blood sugar obviously puts you in an altered mental state. So I wasn't able to clearly focus on anything. And then when yeah. I was awake, it's, I need this liquid sugar in my body Mm -hmm. for me to feel like a functioning human. And anytime it would stop, I would get so sick. So it was. I You're just, in survival mode. I was. And I yeah. also ended up having like, um, I had hyperemesis during my pregnancy. So 
it's not just like regular morning sickness. It's like morning sickness on steroids. Mm. Uh, so uh, then my body was like, hey, let's just give you a little treat by throwing up and not being able to keep anything down, including this life-saving nutrition that is being pumped into your veins. Wow. So again, I flew out to my emergency hospital, I guess, five hours from where we live. And I was in the hospital there, consulted with a bunch of specialists, and they basically said, you're out of options. Like, we can't keep you on this amount of sugar for your entire pregnancy. And there's nothing else that we can really do. At this point, my kidney function was declining. My liver function was declining. My heart was under way too much stress. Yeah. Um, so we chose to, I guess, induce labor and deliver early. And my son, Paris, was born. And he was born on March 14th, 2018. And he was so perfect and so tiny. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know, we all kind of selfishly thought that that was going to be the end of my health struggles. Like, okay, I'm not pregnant anymore. My body can return to a somewhat functioning normal level and we'll be fine. But that is not how things um, transpired. So Paris was born in March. By April, I was back in the hospital pretty much constantly as they were trying to get my blood sugars back up. They would keep trying to do, they called it like a blood sugar reset. So they would put me on dextrose IVs. I would stay on the IV for like 48 hours straight, not eating anything. And then they would try to wean me off of it. But anytime they tried to wean me off of it, my blood sugars would crash because there was nothing there to, they couldn't support themselves. Wow. Yeah, it was very scary. My husband and I have not been married for a long time. And suddenly we were thrown into this environment of we lost our child. And then my husband thought he was going to lose his wife. And uh, it was terrible. Um, yeah. And obviously, like any, any of those um, individual situations would, would break most people. Yeah. And then I meet people like you and I'm like, oh, they've survived all the things. And it's not one of those things where it's like, uh, like we can't reason, we can't reason it out. We don't yeah. know why, why it, it feels lately to me, like these really wonderful people have all the bad things happen to them mm-hmm. and then everyone else just lives their life. Pretty much. Yeah. I got, I'm pretty sure I got someone else's bad luck too. So I got a few of you covered. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I consulted a whole bunch of specialists. Everybody kind of came and marveled at this medical mystery that no one could figure out and so they were I have I had a glycogen storage disease team at the specialist hospital and they were calling specialists in other countries and Europe and the United States and trying anybody that had any ideas because I was new I was like their oldest patient and I was the first one that had ever been pregnant and they're like we Mm -hmm. have no idea what to do with this thing um so they called everybody and I had doctors coming in from everywhere to come look at me and they were running tests and at this point my liver function was still declining and obviously my blood sugars were rapidly declining and so my doctor sat me down one day in her office and she said if you want to make it um we recommend a liver transplant she's like you can refuse and you know we can try other things Potentially, there could be more options that come up in the future. But as of now, we have no options left. Yeah. So 
I say it wasn't really a hard choice. I knew that if I wanted to live my life again, that I needed to go on the transplant list. And part of me had already been ignited by being a mom at that point. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't able to save my son, so I was going to save myself. And that was the thought process that I had is I really wanted his death to mean something. Mm-hmm. And I wanted his mom to be someone that he could be so proud of. So I listed myself for liver transplant, which was a whole bunch of tests and all the things. We were in and out of the hospital this whole time. I would, they would put me there and like reset me. And then I would be okay for like a few weeks, a month. And then I would go back and they would reset me again. And so we did this over and over and over. Um, when we had my transplant evaluation, the hepatologist that reviewed all my paperwork or whatever said, oh, how many times have you been in the hospital like over the past year? And so I told him and it was like double digits, insane number. And he just looked at me and he's like, why haven't you gotten a transplant before now? Every single person was like, why? Why are you waiting this long? Why do you not already have your new liver? Like, this is insane. And how, how did you respond to that? I was like, well, yeah, I've been trying to tell you guys this for years and years and years that I was sick and this wasn't working. And it was always, oh, it's because you're so rare and we don't know enough about this disease. And you're like the first surviving batch of people that are coming out. And I was always very, very severe when I was a baby. They called me very fragile. Um, more so than other people with my disease. Like I was on the quite severe end of the spectrum. And that's the thing yeah. about glycogen storage disease is you can be mildly affected or you can be majorly affected. And I was majorly affected. I would say so. Yeah. Thank you for listening today. We're always so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a quick moment to subscribe, rate, and comment. Because we share good things with our friends. Pass along this episode to someone you thought of today. As always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Bonus Years and on our website, www.thebonusyearsblog.com.